Thank you for coming this morning, and thank you for uh, allowing us to learn the building. We're still learning it. Uh, the HVA system is HVAC system is one we're learning right now. We got the air conditioning on for you, so that might help things out. And uh, don't want to get it nice and cozy and warm; you'll fall asleep on me. So we're going to chill it down a little bit as we continue our walk through the Old Testament. Now, um, if you weren't here. The last two weeks, you've missed some things, but I'm going to try and catch you up, but not going to be too concerned about getting all the details for you. But what we're doing... We're learning the sound system, too. (laughs) Um, um, But I'm going to walk through where we've gotten so far, and let me remind myself of where we, we got up to Moses. So I'm going to walk through and talk it through. So what the walk through the Old Testament is, 77 steps of the significant people, places, and events of the Old Testament. So we're looking at at 17 books mainly, the historical books of the Old Testament. There are others, and we'll mention those as we go through it. But it's strictly the historical uh, time frame that we're dealing with. So I'm going to walk through it, and to help us remember those steps, we have hand signs to go with them. And after I walk through it with some commentary the first time, those of you who've been here last week and the week before, then we're going to go through it with just the hand signs and, and keywords, um, and we'll do that together. And we'll impress everybody who's their first time here that you've learned so much in the last two weeks. And then those of you who this is your first time, you'll catch up with us and go as we continue on. So here's where we are. In the beginning, God created everything. He put Adam and Eve in the garden, and then sin entered into that garden, and there was the fall. After the fall, Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden. They continued to to live on this earth, and sin multiplied on the earth to the point where God said, I just want to start over. So he sent a flood to destroy the earth. But as he did that, there was one man, Noah, found grace in the eyes of the Lord, and his family, and they began to multiply and fill the earth. And God told them to spread out, but they didn't. They tried to build a temple or a... a, um, tower to hold themselves together to make a name for themselves and God said that's not going to work so he confounded their languages and as they had different languages they spread out and that's called the spreading of the nations that's how God looked in the first 11 chapters of Genesis and as he did that he was looking at all the world but now he zeroes in about 4,000 years ago he zeroes in on a little town called Ur Ur stand up so we all can see you Ur is right over here so that's that's the point on the map. So, uh, I, Bill, I think I got the map up there. Let's do that so we, everybody can see that. But Ur is a town uh, down here. And, and uh, so if this is north, that's south. This is southeast and southeast of here. Um, there is Ur. And just beyond that, a little bit further, there's a body of water called the Persian Gulf. Our Persian Gulf has shrunk a little bit from when we were at the high school. But it's still back there. So we've got Ur and the Persian Gulf. The Persian Gulf is made of salt water, and when you taste that, it reminds us of salt, which gives us our first four characters that we're going to focus in on. Salt, Sarah, Abraham, Lot, Terah. God told Abraham and his family to move to the promised land. Didn't tell him where it was, but just to start on the journey. And they followed two rivers. Ur, you can have a seat now, because just uh, continuing east of, of Ur, there were two bodies of, of water that they followed. It was two rivers, the Tigris and the Euphrates. And as those two 
rivers came north, a family followed those rivers north to a town called Haran. And at Haran, a tragic thing happened. Terah died. Terah is the father of Abraham, and here's where he died. Now Abraham is the father of the faithful. He is the patriarch, and he takes over. Going to the promised land, which is bordered by four bodies of water. We have right up here, we have the Sea of Galilee. Following back that way is the Jordan River. And then, Beth, you're in the Dead Sea right back there. Is that where you want to be? <laughs> all right. So, all right. So, circle the two best back there, and we got uh, the Dead Sea, and over on this side, you folks right here are in the Mediterranean. <laughs> Those were the waves of the Mediterranean. They were listening. Good. And right down the center, remember what this is? Israel. This is the Promised Land. So we'll just take our fingers and Israel. God promised Abraham a son. He went on his own, tried to figure this thing out, and he had a son, but not by Sarah. So that was the wrong son. So we'll point to our left eye and say, Ishmael. But he did give him a son through Sarah, and it was Isaac. So it's Israel, Ishmael, Isaac. Isaac had two sons. One was a hairy little baby, Esau. And then the other one was a smooth operator, Jacob. Esau, Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons, but we're going to focus in on one was Joseph. So he had the coat of many colors, so we just hold our coat lapel. Joseph. Joseph eventually went down to Egypt. So Egypt is this way, kind of follows the, crowd, the, the land that way, down toward Egypt. There was a famine in the land, but because Joseph was in Egypt, he prepared all the areas to handle this famine, and people would go to Egypt to get food during the famine. And Joseph's family did later on. About 70 of them who were in the promised land went down to Egypt. We call them Jews, and then they went to Egypt. They stayed there even after the famine was over. They stayed there a good bit, a long time, and they got so plenteous that the Egyptians felt like if we don't do something about them, they're going to be stronger than us and take over, so they put them in bondage. And the time period that this lasted was 400 years of bondage. But God heard the cry for deliverance, and he sent them a deliverer. So it's 400 years bondage, but then Moses, remember to say it with a strong, because he was a strong leader, Moses came forth to lead them out of the bondage. So that's where we ended up. So all of you who have been here the last two weeks, or even just last week, you can do this with me. So, And just to give you a little more space and room to do this, would you just stand up? If you were here, this is your first time with it. You don't worry about standing up. You just watch everybody else. But those of you who are here, Stand up and we'll walk through this with me. And you're, you're going to have a hard time doing all the money. <laughs> so here we go. Everybody ready? Creation, fall, flood, nations, 4,000 years, Ur, Persian Gulf, Salt, Sarah, Abraham, Lot, Terah, Tigris, Euphrates, Haran, Paradise, Sea of Galilee, Jordan River, Dead Sea, Mediterranean, Israel, Ishmael, Isaac, Esau, Jacob, Joseph, Egypt, Jews, Egypt, 400 years, bondage, Moses, good job, give yourselves a hand, you did good.
I bet some of you thought you couldn't do that, but you did good. So now we're going to pick up from that. Moses was the deliverer that was coming, and he had a message. Even though he didn't think he could speak it, who am I to to be your uh, servant to go and tell Pharaoh? And and, uh, I don't speak well. I, I stutter. And God says... Don't you know I know you stutter? I'm the one who made your mouth. I can, I can handle all these problems. But God met him where he was, helped him work through those issues that he had, and helped him to develop him into the leader that he needed to be to lead the people out of Egypt. But he only had one message. One message was what Moses was required to go to Pharaoh and to say, and it was simply this. Let my people go. And that's the way we're going to say it, all right? He had to say it several times. Sometimes Pharaoh would say, uh, yeah, go ahead. But then he'd change his mind. No, I don't want you to go and then everything. But the message stayed the same. Let my people go. All right, say that with me. But we want to make sure everybody can hear it. So we cup our mouths and say, let my people go. And even though uh, Pharaoh would, would say yes and then no and back and forth. And finally, we just say, it's easy to remember. Pharaoh just said no. What he did is just folded his arms and said, no. Now, those of you who are teachers and you taught your class about wanting them to learn, you probably at some point have said, there's no such thing as a dumb question. Well, there is one. And Pharaoh asked it. Pharaoh says, who is your God that I should listen to him? Dumb question. And he began to show why. He proved it. You're not going to listen to me? Well, let me help you change your mind. Let me convince you. The the, uh, Egyptians had several gods, not just one god. The Jewish nation had one god, one god only. And we know that there is only one true god. And Abraham and his clan that came after him followed that one true god. But the Egyptians had many different gods. And so God told Pharaoh if, if... you're not going to let my people go. You think your gods are stronger than me. Let me prove to you that's not true. And he sent ten plagues to convince Pharaoh that his gods were no match to him. Now, we're not going to learn all ten plagues, but we're going to learn specifically two of those ten plagues. But each plague had a, had a god that it was focused on. Like, they had a goddess that was, from the waist up, a beautiful woman. From the legs down, frog. Frog legs. (laughs) I don't know how they got to that or why they got to that, but that was the form of their god. So, you like frogs? Okay, let me send you some frogs. And there were frogs everywhere. Could you imagine just one frog in your house? I don't want that. But if you had multiple frogs in your house when you went out, everywhere, frogs, 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 gnats. I don't know why God let gnats get on the ark to survive it. I don't know. But they're there for a reason. I know they're in this. But but gnats are a problem. But usually it's just maybe a little swarm of them and you can get rid of them. But these were gnats all the time, everywhere, bothering you all the time. Because there was a God that, I don't know what it was about a gnat, but it was assigned to that. So, nine of those, one of those was lice. Don't even want to think about lice. If you have your kids in school, sometimes that's a 
one child brings it in, and everybody, I've had to have my hair done with that light shampoo and that comb and everything, and it's not a nice thing. And so they had the plague of lice. Well, we're going to hold up Esau's hairy arm. You know, lice like to get in the hair, and we're going to pick those lice off our arms. <laughs> and if you don't like who you're sitting by, just toss them over on them. <laughs> and we're going to say, ten plagues. Ten plagues. The lice represents all of them. We're going to say ten plagues. The last one, the first nine, had to deal with the, with the Egyptians. They're dealing with that and, and had to deal with it. At the, up to this point, the Hebrews didn't have to. The Jewish nation, it didn't affect them. They didn't get the frogs, the gnats, and all of this. But the tenth plague, the one to make the decision of, of yes, Pharaoh is not going to say no after this. It was the death of the firstborn. And this specific plague gives us a picture of what we're all faced with. The firstborn of every family was going to die in one single night. The death angel would come through that whole area and visit every home, and in every home he would find the firstborn and take them. They would die. This would even happen to the, to the Hebrews, to the Jewish nation. So God told them, gave them instructions of how they could prevent this from happening to their family. Take an unblemished lamb unspotted, perfect lamb. Slaughter that lamb. Take the blood of that lamb and put it on the doorpost so that when the death angel comes to visit your home, he'll seize the blood and he'll pass over your home and your child will be spared. The Egyptians didn't know that. They didn't get that word. They weren't listening to God. But all the Hebrews did. And as they, that night, slaughtered those lambs, Trusting God with his perfect plan, not understanding why or the details, just doing what God asked. They slaughtered that lamb, put the blood on the doorpost. And that night, a wailing was heard throughout Egypt, but not among the Jews. That caused Pharaoh to change his mind and let the people go. So for that one, we've got ten plagues, and we're going to finish that with as we're picking those and say, Passover. That the death angel passes over our house. So let's put that together. Ten plagues pass over. And as they got ready to go, Pharaoh said, get out of here. I don't want to see you, Moses, anymore and take your people. Just get out of here. And, in fact, they, they plundered Egypt. They took a lot of the things. Pharaoh was saying, we really want you out of here, so just take whatever you need and go. And they went. And as they left, they were um, in Egypt coming down there's a big body big body of water that they were running into now i don't know where moses got his directions but it took him right to the red sea and as the red sea is back there in egypt they came to the point where it's a big body of water knowing which way to go it was really stuck in front of them so they're having to decide what they're going to do at that point but as they're trying to decide they hear a rumbling noise behind them Pharaoh changed his mind. Pharaoh was after them. He said, we can't let all that free labor we've had and what Moses did to us and all that we've, we need to bring them back and make it worse on them than before. So we're going to go after them and get them. So Pharaoh's armies came and went after them. So the Israelites had the Red Sea in front of them, Pharaoh's army behind them. And there they are. What do we do? You ever been in that spot? Before you see there's no way, 
behind you, you think somebody's after you. You're in that spot and you don't know what to do. God has a plan. God has a way out. Even when you don't see a way out, God has a way out. And so what did he do? They were headed in the right direction just because there was a body of water in front of them. That doesn't bother God. So what he did was he split the Red Sea. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to say 10 plagues, Passover, and just keep going around and Red Sea as it parts the water. And they walked on dry ground all the way through. As they walked through, Pharaoh's army was following them. Now, Pharaoh's armies had horses and chariots, and they're following, but the Israelites were able to get across. Pharaoh's armies thought they would too, and as they went into the Red Sea on dry ground, God said he was holding up the waters long enough, and he let them go, and all of Pharaoh's armies were destroyed. God's going to take care of it. I don't know how he's going to take care of whatever is going on in your life, whatever problems you're facing, whatever struggles you're going through. God's got a way out. He's going to take care of it. But you've got to be listening to him ready to do something you've never done before. Facing that and going forward in his name. So uh, from that, let's pick up, let's go back to 400 years bondage and put all that together, all right? So they're, they're down in Egypt and we go, 400 years bondage. Moses, let my people go. No. Ten plagues, Passover, Red Sea. Good. And as they left the Red Sea, they're, they're down in Egypt, which is southwest, and they're coming to Israel. So you would think as they're coming out of Egypt, they're going to take a left. They didn't. They took a right. They went down there, and as God's leading them, there was a purpose. They had to stop. They had to have a rest stop before they went on their journey. And they stopped at a place called Mount Sinai. So this will be as they, as they come out of the Red Sea, they go to Mount Sinai. And at Mount Sinai, they're gathered there. They go to camp. They're, they've got a still long journey ahead of them. But as they've left Egypt and are out on this journey, if you've ever taken a journey with some small kids, you know, that can be some trying times in the car. Are we there yet? He's hitting me. She's touching me. Stay on your side. I'm hungry. I have to go to the bathroom. And they start whining and complaining. Well, the Israelites were no different. They whined and complained. Moses, we don't have anything to eat out here. We don't have anything to drink. We're thirsty. It's in the desert. So God heard their cry. He gave them water from a rock. Well, we are thankful for that, but we need something more than water. We're hungry. And so what did he do? He sent manna. How many of you looked for snow this morning, looked out the window? I hope you might see some flakes of snow. Yeah, but we didn't get it around here. Um, but the manna came down each morning like snow, and it covered the ground, and they were able to go out and scoop it up and eat it, and it was, it was nutritious for them. It tastes good. God provided for them through manna. That wasn't enough. They wanted something to go with the manna. God, we have... We have this manna every morning. Can't we have something, you know, some meat? So God sent the first fast food, quail, quail flying through. So it wasn't a drive through it was a fly-through. But they were flying so low, they were able just to reach out and grab them, and they were able to have meat. 
God's providing for them over and over in different ways, but they're still whining and complaining. But I know you don't do that because we took care of that last week, remember? I gave you the 15, 10 seconds to whine or whatever, and we got it all out of our systems. Well, these folks didn't get it out. They just continued to whine. And Moses climbs up to Mount Sinai to meet with God, and he's up there. God, these people you've called me to lead, they just whine and complain all the time. It's giving me a headache. And God says, take these two tablets. Literally, take these two tablets, the tablets that we call the Ten Commandments. There were more laws than that that he gave. But what he did when God met with Moses on the Mount Sinai, he gave them the law. So that's what we're going to do after we're doing Mount Sinai. We'll just bring it down off the mountain and say law, law, two tablets, a book of the law, Ten Commandments, however you want to think about it. But that's what Moses brought down. He brought down the law. But he also brought down something else. God gave them the instruction for the tabernacle. The tabernacle, we did this before where you close your fingers in like they intertwine them and put the little steeple there. This is our tabernacle. Now, the tabernacle was like what we've been doing for the last 10, 11 years. It was a portable church is what it was. They traveled with a portable church. And the tabernacle with the instructions, the blueprints for what to do and how to have that for a place for them to have God come down among them. And uh, so those instructions came from Mount Sinai too. So we've got Mount Sinai, law, tabernacle. Now, when you open the doors, what do you see? People. There's the people. But in the tabernacle, specifically during the Jewish nation, who would be in there? Priests. Levites and priests. So they were the tribe of Levi. The Levites have special tasks in the, in the tabernacle, and so did the priests. So we're going to say, just will our fingers, they're the Levites and priests. And what they had, they, gave, they had instructions on what their duties were. They were to help the people with their offerings and feasts. There were five different offerings that God asked for them to have and seven different feasts. Must have been good Baptists. Always liked to eat. So they had seven different feasts. We had offerings and feasts. So after we say Levites and priests, we're going to hold up our hands like this. One hand we have the offerings. The other hand we have the feasts. And just raise them up. Offerings and feasts. So let's uh, put that strip together there um, from ten plagues. All right? So we've got ten plagues, Passover, Red Sea, Mount Sinai. Law, tabernacle, Levites and priests, offerings and feasts. And as they were living their lives now, they began to, to move. Their, and as God told them to move, they would go different directions and on their way to the promised land. And as they would move, they decided that, you know, we're at a place where we need to know just how many people we have. Who all is around here? And they took a census. They counted the faces is what they did. So that's what we're going to do just as we're pointing out and say counting the faces. They counted 600,000 fighting men. Now, if there are 600,000 fighting men, that means there are probably 600,000 fighting women. <laughs> and there's another 600,000 fighting kids. There were two to three million people that are on this journey. Now, remember, back in our story, they were in Israel. Jacob, who was known as Israel later, and his clan went down to Egypt 
that group was a group of 70. 70 people went down to Egypt and began to multiply. So when we get to, to where we are now, 2 to 3 million, you can understand why the Egyptians were a little concerned over the size of this nation that was growing right in the midst of their nation. So we've got that many people, and they're, they're going. So we're counting the faces. faces. They come to a, an oasis in the desert, and they stop there and camp. And it's a special place. That's, there's a story about it in the Old Testament there. And it's called Kadesh Barnea. But we're just going to call it Kadesh Oasis. Now, when you think of an oasis, what, what kind of picture do you get in your mind? What do you see? What? It's relaxing water, palm trees, nice shade. So we're going to take that in our mind, and we're going to take a palm tree is what we're going to look at. We're going to take our hands the base of the palm tree, and we're going to say, Kadesh Oasis. These are the palm tree branches, all right? So you can get as creative as you... Most of the time we're dealing on detail, but this is creative as all creative you want to get. You know, is it blowing in the wind or hurricane or whatever you want to do, but it's Kadesh Oasis. Now, as we're on top of that, um, on top of the palm tree... It's a great place to start just looking out and seeing where you are. But what they were going to do was they have come to a place that's um, just outside the promised land. They traveled from Egypt all the way around, and they're coming down here, and they are um, east of the Jordan River. And as they come over here, they are at Kadesh Barnea. They are looking over into the promised land, and they sent 12 spies to look into the promised land, one from each tribe. And as they went in, they looked, scouted it out, and brought the, p- the report back to the people. As they brought the report back, they actually brought some of the fruit of the land. I mean, the grapes uh, on the vines were like almost like oranges, the size of oranges, but they were bringing them back. Those are not oranges, those are grapes. And they would just tell them of all the, the, the abundance of the land. It's like a, a land flowing with milk and honey. You can't believe it. But there's something else there. There are cities, fortified cities, with huge walls all the way around them. And we peeked into those walled cities. They were giants. They were huge. We were like grasshoppers to them. Ten of them gave the report like that and said, there's no way I'm going in there. There were two that said, I saw what you saw, and they're not bigger than our God. Yes, that's the land God has promised us. We've been away a long time, but it's time for us to come back. And we can take it. With God's help, he's going to give it to us. We just scattered it out to see how good it's going to be. Well, most of the time, majority rules. Majority is not always right, but majority rules. And so in this case, the majority rules, and so they didn't go. But two decided that, yeah, we should But they didn't go in because the majority gave the rule. Now, these two were called Caleb and Joshua. Does anybody know anybody named Caleb or Joshua? We might even have some in here. We got any Caleb's or Joshua's? But you probably, yeah, back here. Good job. Um, We have those. But do you know anybody named Egal? Shamoah? Not Shamu down the well, but Shamoah. 
No, there were ten other spies, but nobody names their kids after them. It was the two minority reporters that, that really made a difference. And if you want your child to be someone different, you give them a name that can help them. And Caleb and, and Joshua were two, and their name stands out through all eternity. We know them as the two that became the minority prophets. And they were, not, they were not young folks. They weren't, you know, just saying we can do this in a cocky way. Um, they were up in years, but they knew that God was going to help them take the land. But because majority ruled, the people began to wander. And so at Kadesh Oasis, they sent the 12 spies. said, no, we're not going to go in there. So the people just wandered. So we'll say wanders. And after 40 years of wandering over there in the desert, that whole generation that was alive at that time, except for a few, specifically Caleb and Joshua, that whole generation died out. So we say, wanders, dies. All that went on in that time, Moses started the journey by giving them the Ten Commandments. And he had a purpose for that. That was to help us know how to live our lives. It's good for us today. And the people needed that instruction. But as they were wandering, they began to forget about those Ten Commandments. They were needing to pass it down to the next generation, and if they didn't, it would be forgotten. And if this generation doesn't pass down what we know about Jesus Christ, we're just one generation from Christianity being wiped off the face of the earth. If we don't pass that down, it's not going to get to the next generation. And Moses was so concerned about that. So as the people wandered and the whole group of them died, Moses came back on the scene. There at a town called Moab, Moses realized he's coming to the end of his life. Now, we're going to say Moses' name again, and I don't want you to, just because he's old, give me another wimpy Moses. He was strong leader all the way through, so we're going to be strong all the way through. So at Moab, Moses came forth, and he knew his, his time was short, and so what would he do? If you knew you only had a short time to live, what would you want to tell the people closest to you? Moses knew that what was going to get them through, what was going to help them go on, was what they started with, the Ten Commandments, the law. And so he gave the law again, but he did it a second time. So we're going to say second law. A second law, it's not... Uh, a different one. It's not another Ten Commandments. It's the same ones, but he's given it again to remind them of all that God wants them to do. So at Moab, Moses gave the second law, and then he died. All right, so let's go to Moab. Do that with me. Moab, Moses, second law, dies. All right. So at this point, I want us, let's go back to... Uh, 400 years bondage. That's where we started this morning. So let's go there. 400 years bondage. Moses, let my people go. No. Ten plague, Passover, Red Sea, Mount Sinai, law, tabernacle, Levites and priests, offerings and feasts, counting the faces Kadesh Oasis, 
twelve spies wanders, dies. Moab, Moses' second law, dies. As Moses was leaving them, he knew that they needed to get over in the promised land. They had been taught what to do, brought out of bondage, redeemed from that, taken on the journey, and the first test to get over in the promised land, they failed. God allowed them a second test. He retaught them with the second law and gave them another chance. That's going to be next week. We're going to deal with that, how they did that. But, Bill, if you'll put up the uh, uh, slide where it's got the, uh, the different sections. Keep going. Go to the next one. Hit the computer. Go to the next one. Move to the next. There we go. All right. From here. These are the books that we've covered so far. Genesis through Deuteronomy. We just finished the first five books, the Pentateuch. In Genesis, we find where they all go down to Egypt and become enslaved. Exodus is where God redeems them, brings them out. And then Leviticus teaches them of the law and the tabernacle. As they come around, numbers were counting the faces. They come and they, they begin to see the test. Are you going to trust God and go back to the promised land? And they fail that test. They say, no, we're not. Deuteronomy deals with them wandering. Moses giving them the second law, so they're reteaching it. And now they get a second chance to be retested. And we'll find out in Joshua what happens. It's a picture of what God has done for us. We all were born into this world with a sin nature. It didn't take long for that to develop in our lives. And we were in bondage because of our sin. God sent a Redeemer, Jesus Christ, to redeem us, to set us free from bondage so we would truly know freedom. And as that freedom is a part of our life, now it ought to be exemplified in who we are and the character that we have. And, and so God begins to teach us through his word. And we learn about having love and kindness and patience and self-control and all those characteristics that we should be developing in our lives. And he begins to teach us. We don't get all that at one time. You know, patience, it takes some time to learn patience. You need some patience to learn patience. And you'll hear a sermon on it. And as you leave, you'll get behind the slowest driver in the car, you know, and, and that patience is being tested. Or you'll hear, hear something from a friend of yours that kind of it uh, is a check in your spirit of, uh, maybe I do need to do something about that. And, and God uses his spirit to speak to your heart about something he needs to deal with. And he teaches you in many different ways and things you see and you read and you hear. He teaches you, and then there's a the time of testing. How are you going to deal with this? This relationship that he wants you to be in and, and he's trying to get you to work it out and you, there's that, that same test you keep coming against and you failed it. He'll teach you how to deal with that, go at it again, are you going to pass it? The great thing about God is he's patient with us and he doesn't just give us a second chance but a third chance, a fourth chance. But there are things that we have to deal with in our lives that he's been teaching us. And he's teaching us many times over. And if you just take time to think about it, which I want you to do right now, you may have already thought about it. You know what it is he's teaching you. The thing that keep you keep coming up against, and you just can't seem to get over it. 
it keeps coming up. Maybe it's with a relationship. Maybe it's a habit. Maybe it's just a, a, a struggle that you know what you should be doing for, for God and for right, but you just don't do it. God puts the test before you. If you fail that test, he's going to be patient with you and reteach you. He's going to give you opportunity to learn more about that, how to handle it, how to get along with these people, how to do these things that you know you should be doing. His word is there that you can find and go for that teaching yourself if you want to look for that. But God's going to reach out to you to try to help you learn that. And you'll find that testing again. So as he's been teaching you, this week you might be tested again. You might be faced with that coworker that you've been struggling with for so long. And God's going to have to bring that teaching up into your heart. And are you going to accept it? Are you going to follow his teaching? Are you going to do what he wants? Or are you going to result back to your natural ways? Keep that struggle between you. A relationship within a family membership. You just can't seem to get over. But you need to make it right. God's called us into relationship with one another. And he's given us instructions on how to do that. A lot of times it's just us. Dealing with ourselves, being humble, being willing to look at others from their perspective. A habit you can't break, so you need God's strength. As you're tempted in that, during that temptation, he allows you to have cheat notes. You can take the book into that temptation and read it, and you'll find a way out. If it's something you know you need to be doing, God's called you in a certain direction, something you should be doing. Maybe it's a new ministry, a career change, a reaching out to somebody, and for some reason you just just can't make that step. God's saying this week you're going to have an opportunity to do that. This month you're going to be faced with this decision again. You're going to be tested. Are you going to take it or are you going to follow me? I'm going to pray. The band's going to come up here and sing our last song. But God wants us out of bondage. That's why he sent Jesus into our lives. But not just to free us from the bondage of sin, but the bondage we put on ourselves in our lives. So as you are retested this week, take Jesus with you into that. Find a way to get through this. If you'd like to pray here at our altar, we hope here in this new place that you'll be comfortable that anytime you need to come and pray, you'll come and pray. Anytime that you feel like the Lord's leading you and at any time, but specifically during this time today. If you want to pray, God will help you through this. Just feel free to come and kneel here. You deal with the issue. Ask God to help you as you go into this test. That you'll, you'll pass it with flying colors to do his will. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for teaching us. Father, thank you that... You're patient with us when we don't learn. Thank you that you give us a second chance. But whatever you're testing us with, whatever it is you're seeking for us to do, whatever decisions we need to make, whatever we need to do to get right, Lord, help us to think now about that. Give us instructions. Give us detail, not just... I don't want us to pray, Lord, help me be a better dad. Help me be a better mom. What specific things we can do to do that? What is it, Lord, you want me to do with that coworker? What is it you want me to do to handle this habit? What is it you want me to do 
in my career. Lord, give me specific things that I can do to step out in faith to cross over that Jordan River into the promised land. Thank you for the stories that we're learning from the Old Testament. But, Lord, let us not just learn them as, as great stories to remember. It's great stories to apply to our life. You worked with that family. You looked down and saw Abraham as an example of what you can do for me. So what you can do for each one of us. You love us. You care for us. We thank you for that. Help us to have an open ear and open heart to what you want us to do. In Jesus' name.